Welcome back to Forces of Good, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour with co-host Nina Greeley. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. This is the Negotiation Laboratory, where we share insights into basic skills, strategy, history, storytelling, behavioral sciences, and social trends. It's all connected. We are all connected. And everyone can learn the everyday negotiation superpower to be used only for the forces of good. First, an explanation of this episode's title. A jazz fake book is a collection of lead sheets. These sheets will have the chord symbols, the basic melody, and notated harmony, generally no more than one or two sheets of music per tune. A fake book could contain hundreds of such sheets, making it a very economical way to learn tunes or bring music to a gig. Growing up in a small town outside of Chicago, my father was a jazz aficionado. He had a state-of-the-art turntable and speakers for his massive collection of vinyl recordings. Many a halcyon day of childhood was spent hearing the notes of jazz musicians, both greats and obscure artists, sifting through the screen door as I busied myself with some outside activity, mostly yard work. In sixth grade music class, when we had to deliver an oral report on a composer of our choosing, my classmates lectured on Chopin, Bach, Mozart. I reported on Thelonious Monk. Hmm. My dad regularly took me to the Chicago Jazz and Blues Festival and the Ravinia Summer Music Concerts for jazz and opera performances. How cool. It really was. And I didn't think much of it at the time, Nina, but realize now what a gift it was. Now, what does this have to do with you and everyday negotiation? Well, I'm not the first person to think about this. Negotiation and jazz aren't all that different. Music and negotiation are both art forms and both grounded in math and science as well. Now I get it. And for those unaccustomed to hearing jazz, it can seem chaotic. It is not. A jazz musician, like an agile negotiator, operates from a base of knowledge and preparation, which we covered in episodes four and five. Jazz musicians know their scales and chords. They know how to invert them, how to transpose them, and how to improvise them on the spot. This is why, at least when I was a kid, the standard method of teaching music, piano in my case, was to religiously practice one's scales, arpeggios, and chords. It still is, I assure you. My teacher of 20 years still assigns me a different scale and arpeggio every week. Well, my teenage son might disagree with that, and and (laughs) somehow he manages to play beautifully, so I guess there's all sorts of ways to learn things. That's right. Well, then, you do understand that someone who knows their way around the circle of fifths can accomplish just about anything in music. It's definitely another category of superpower. Davis, Coltrane, Parker, Armstrong, Monk, Marcellus, Correa, they knew their chords to a point of unconscious familiarity. 
they used that structured base to embark on infinite detours and improvisations in a given performance. But that anchor is always in the background. Otherwise, their sounds would truly be a cacophony. Beyond the familiarity and agility with music theory, a jazz musician also negotiates with other musicians in the act of performance. It's the same with chamber music. Exactly. In 2008, I attended a lecture at Stanford University called something like The Negotiation of Music by Rob Kapilau. It might be easy to see and hear how organized classical music seems compared to jazz. Unlike a fake book, all the notes, all the chords are written out for each instrument. If each musician does their part and keeps time, it should all come together pretty seamlessly, right? Mm. It's not so simple. Each performance of a chamber piece requires the players to listen to one another, watch one another, and cue one another to stay in sync, to adjust pauses and dynamics. If each musician were to focus just on the notes in front of them, it would be a mess. That is absolutely right, Lucia. I played in a wind quintet in college, so I can attest to that. Playing in a chamber group is... It's almost like being part of a complicated dance. Your part moves in and out of prominence, and you always have to be aware of what everyone else is doing and be flexible so that you're all moving together. Well, ditto for negotiation. Michael Wheeler, senior fellow at Harvard Business School, has commented on the topic, and here's a few of the things that he had to say about it. Conducting a negotiation isn't like leading a symphony orchestra. You can't hand out the music and expect everyone to follow you. Each player must have his or her own styles and tempos, and they might want to be the ones leading the performance. In a jazz ensemble, players of different skills and tastes with competing egos have to negotiate over what and how to play. This process of getting in sync is critical, whether the players are musicians, disputants, diplomats, old friends, or potential business partners. Some negotiators are natural born improvisers. And Nina, that's kind of what happened in my Russia hostage situation, which we covered in episodes nine and 10. Exactly, yeah. The rest of us have to extemporize. Improvisers prosper because they do the following three things particularly well, Michael Wheeler talked about. One, they pay close heed, giving their full attention to what others are expressing substantively and emotionally. And Nina, you've heard me talk all about how emotions are another category of facts in negotiation and mediation, right? Yes. Number two. They know when and how to influence and adapt to their counterparts. In the jazz world, these skills are known as soloing and comping, accompanying or complementing what others are doing. Ooh, we need to pause for just about 30 seconds to talk about our sponsor, the Empowered Cookie. High fiber, low sugar, paleo, vegan, small batch, from scratch. It's the Empowered Cookie. I've been consuming and sharing them for years. I share them with my son's special education class where many students have special dietary restrictions. They are yummy and so satisfying that I can often only eat half for a snack. Empower your eating routine with the Empowered Cookie, empoweredcookie.com. 
Enter code SUPERPOWER2022 for a discount at checkout. There's actually a chapter in uh, my book coming out in a few weeks on negotiation style and what your own style is and then adapting it to others in a given context. And number three, they are proactive, even provocative, taking considered risks to drive the action forward. So how, how can you become your own jazz negotiation virtuoso? I am all ears. <laughs> oh, I think you might be my biggest fan, Nina. <laughs> First, practice. Oh, well, that is the most important thing, I think. Practice, practice, practice. Right. And also the thing that people dread doing. Yes, exactly. Practice the skills and tips offered in this podcast. Showing curiosity and building rapport, episode three. Preparation and planning, episodes four and five. Being aware of information your own body is feeding you, episode six. Improvisation without the benefit of planning, episodes nine and ten. Listening episodes seven and eight. Very Questioning, episodes 12 and 13. Thoughtful use of language, episode 14. A basic working knowledge of behavioral economics, brain science, and emotions, episodes 15 and 16. Also useful is an analysis of your own natural negotiation style and recognizing negotiation styles in others which I cover, and so much more, in my companion book, releasing on October 1st of this year, 2022, For the Forces of Good, The Superpower of Everyday Negotiation. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was just number one. Remember I said there were four things to practice. The second one is stay attuned to how negotiation permeates everyday interactions and circumstances. This is episodes 11 and 17, as well as the three espresso shot editions. Third, get outside. The brain is a living organism that has evolved for centuries and mostly outdoors. If you feel stuck, take your negotiation for a walk. Hmm. Numerous studies have shown the cognitive and emotional benefits of walking outdoors for productivity and relationships. Fourth, include the arts in your everyday experience, even for just 15 minutes. The arts will inspire and enrich you. They provide a mirror of the world and a window to other worlds and possibilities. You know, I love those last two steps, Lucia. They, they're not what I expected, but they make a lot of sense. You know, they do, Nina, and it's one of the reasons that so much original artwork is also included in the book. I love it. <laughs> well, plus it's kind of eye candy too, right? Right. So where are we now? Well, this is our 18th numbered episode, plus three espresso shot special editions. 18 is also the number of chapters in my book for the forces of good, the superpower of everyday negotiation. When I started this podcasting journey with episode one, I expressed some skepticism that the world really needed yet another podcast. Isn't there enough noise in the blogosphere, I asked. It's impossible to keep up with all the content produced every minute of every day, mostly in digital format. 
I've had so many people tell me I need to be posting videos to my YouTube channel, to be more active on Twitter and Instagram. And my question is, towards what goal? When is it enough? As I watch the followers and likes increase, doesn't it just make one want more and more and more? Doesn't it just cultivate dissatisfaction? After all, if you can't be happy with what you have, how can you be happy with more? Well, I think these are really important questions to ask, Lucia, and ones that only you can answer. And each person has to answer those for themselves. Exactly. If you are new to the podcast, and this is among the first episodes you're hearing, great news. You can tap play on all the earlier podcasts, and so can anyone else. We've shared some golden tools in these 18 plus three episodes. If you've been a regular listener, revisit them. You'll hear something new. I second that, Lucia. I mean, you have shared so much information in these podcasts that I don't think one listen is going to be enough to catch everything. So I, I urge people to do that too. I've been doing it a bit myself and I'm hearing things the second time around that I didn't hear the first time. And you know what's really sweet, Nina, is an old law school colleague of ours who I reconnected with. She wrote to me just the other day, and she told me that over the weekend, she played all the episodes of the podcast from the beginning and listened to all of them. And I was so touched by that. And she told me how much they meant to her and how much they inspired her. So that's, that's enough for me. That is, that's great to hear. So, look, we'll be taking a break to work on the audiobook for my book. Yay! Which will release sometime subsequent to the print and ebook editions on October 1st. I'm, I'm hoping sometime in December for the audiobook. In the meantime, if you do want more of this podcast in the future, we'd like to hear from you. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. What we have here is already enough. You can find me on LinkedIn, Lucia Cantor St. Amour, or you can email me at lucia at pactumfactum.com. Now, go out and practice being your super selves. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> Thanks for listening, or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour of Pactum Factum, which is Latin for a done deal. You can find me here on Substack and on pactumfactum.com.